guys are in for a real treat this morning because we have a guest speaker that is going to be speaking because I just arrived back in town with jet lag on Friday and so it's hard to be ready for today and so he's going to be speaking this morning. His name is Jeff Surratt and Jeff, um, I met him um, in this last year. Um, Jeff is a well-known speaker, author, uh, church plant guru around the United States. He's served on churches from uh, the size of 20 to 20,000. He was most recently on the staff at Saddleback Church out in California. Um, he is the director of what is called Exponential. It's a conference for church planters. Um, it's probably one of, if not the largest church plant conferences every year. Several thousand uh, pastors attend his conference that he's the director of. And so now he goes around, he consults churches on church planting and staffing and different things. Um, his wife's name is Sherry and wife just recently become, became the president and director of Mops International uh, here in Denver. So that's kind of one of the reasons they relocated here. But we're blessed uh, to have him in our community, and he also has been kind of working, consulting with the Converge network of churches that we're a part of, and uh, he's written several books on church planning and churches and things like that, but he wrote one book that really got my attention, and one of the first times I ever heard him speak uh, at a small little conference of pastors, he was talking about being an orchard as a church, and the book he wrote was called Measuring the Orchard. Well, that certainly got my attention, and so he's going to share a little bit about that concept today uh, in his message, but I'm just thrilled to introduce to you guys our guest speaker today, uh, Jeff Surratt. Could you guys give him a big Orchard Church welcome? Really glad to have him today. It is awesome to be here uh, with you guys today. After an introduction like that, I was looking around backstage to see who was coming out, and apparently it was me. Man, I love being here. Uh, as Doug said, my wife and I have been here in Denver for, for about a year and a half. Got to meet Doug uh, just a few months ago. I've heard a lot about the orchard, and, and it's just cool to be here to see what God's doing out here in Brighton. I love your pastor. Uh, he has such a heart for uh, the community, such a heart for you guys. He's told me a ton about you, and I'll believe half of it if you'll believe half of what he said about me, and that, that'll be awesome. And it's great to be here. As I said, um, just lived, lived here for a year and a half. Actually, was born in Denver, um, but uh, moved away when I was about 12 years old and have lived all over the country. But for the last 30 years, I was out a little while in California, but 30 years before that, my wife and I spent in the Deep South. And so I am a redneck at heart. And I I need to ask a question real quick. How many of you have spent significant time in the South, Deep South? We have a few. Okay. For those of you who haven't, I'm going to help you out. If you ever find yourself in the South, you'll want to be able to fit in a little bit so you don't stand out a lot. So all you need to know are two things in order to fit in in the South. Okay. This is free. It doesn't cost any extra today. Two things to fit in the South. First, you have to know what to drink. Okay. So when you're at a restaurant, they'll come and take your drink order and there's only one right answer. Anybody? know what the right answer is that's cl you're close you're close but there's no such thing as sweet tea okay it's one word okay it's sweet tea all right so let's try that together uh, we're all together in a restaurant and the waitress says what would you like to drink your answer is sweet tea. now you're still sounding like Denver people <laughs> sweet tea sweet tea. It's a little uptight. You need to loosen up a little bit, kind of relax, kind of roll your shoulders around, lay back, sun shining, uh, a little bit humid out. You hear some flies buzzing outside the screen porch. What would you like to drink? Sweet tea. Sweet tea. That's great. Okay, you're good. Now, one other thing, and this is going to be very easy. Uh, you have to be able to answer one other question in the South, and the, the question is, who's your driver? 
Okay? Now, a couple of you kind of know what I'm talking about. Most of you are totally confused. You're thinking taxi, chauffeur. No, 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 no. The question, who's your driver, refers directly to NASCAR, all right? Any of you familiar with NASCAR? Okay, there you go. Now, no, 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 don't get nervous. You don't have to watch a race. You don't have to study. All you have to do to answer that question is randomly pick a number between 1 and 99, and that's your answer. And here's the nice thing about being in the South. A conversation between two good old boys can go like this. Who's your driver? 88. Junior? Yep. That's all you need. That's it. They know all they need to know. They know whether they can relate to each other. They know their backgrounds. They know their love. They know their future. So that's all you got to do. So there you go. You're welcome. If you're ever in the South, yeah, thank you very much. If you're ever in the South, you can fit right in. Sweet tea and just pick your number. Don't pick 24. That's all I'm saying. So that's my number. So uh, grew up here in Denver. I remember July, uh, July 20th, 1969. Any of you remember what you were doing? Most of you were not alive, but for those of you who were, any idea what you were doing July 20th, 1969? I was right here in Colorado and Denver. In fact, I think we were somewhere out here in the Commerce City area. Uh, We lived in Lakewood. We were visiting some friends. I was seven years old. And Neil Armstrong took his first step on the moon. I, it was night here in Denver, I ran out, <clears throat> side, we were watching on television, we saw giants, uh, you know, small step, giant step, all of that stuff, ran outside with my friend and we looked up at the moon because we wanted to see Neil Armstrong on the moon. And we were a little disappointed, couldn't quite see him up there, but we knew he was there. And I knew at that point what I wanted to be in life, I wanted to be an astronaut. I started drinking Tang. Those of you my age know exactly. You know what I'm talking about. A nasty powdered orange drink, right? I started doing my sit-ups. Remember that in school? How many sit-ups in a minute? All that. I was doing those things. I was going to be an astronaut. Now, along the way, a couple things got in the way. I have an extreme fear of heights. That was a problem. And I'm unbelievably claustrophobic. So being locked up way high. But I wanted to do something extraordinary. What did you want to be when you grew up? Somebody shout it out. What did you want to be when you grew up? Marine biologist. Marine biologist. Several of them. That's awesome. Tell your neighbor right now. Just turn to your neighbor. Tell them just top of your head what you wanted to be when you grew up. So how many of you, I mean, I'm not going to make you say out loud, but how many of you knew you wanted, you wanted to be something when you grew up? Maybe some of you wanted to be a rock star. You were going to be in a big, huge concert. Maybe some of you are going to be a, f- a football player. Maybe you're like me, and you grew up, the Broncos were your team, and you were going to be the, the quarterback that led the Broncos to the Super Bowl. Or maybe you were going to be in, in medical, you were going to discover cancer, but you were going to be something when you grew up. How many of you thought... When I grow up, I want to be ordinary. I want to just have an ordinary job and live in an ordinary house, have an ordinary marriage, have ordinary kids, and hopefully when I'll die, they say, you know, he wasn't much, she didn't do a lot, but at least she was ordinary. I don't think any of us thought that. When we were 7 years old, 9 years old, 12 years old, I don't think any of us thought, man, when I grow up, I hope I can live an ordinary life. I think if you're like me, You thought, you hoped, you believed, you maybe even prayed that at some point in your life you would do something extraordinary. You would live an extraordinary life. 
Well, that's why I love Acts. We're going to talk a little bit from Acts chapter 4 today. So if you uh, have a Bible, you can turn over to Acts chapter 4. I think on the screen in a minute, they'll show you page numbers. But we're going to talk a little bit about Acts 4. The reason I love Acts, is a lot of things in there I love about it. But when you read that book, you realize it is the story of a bunch of ordinary people. It's blue-collar workers. It's accountants. It's stay-at-home moms. But they got connected to God in such a way that they could no longer live ordinary lives. They lived extraordinary lives. And that's exciting to me because I'm just an ordinary guy. I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented. I'm certainly not that athletic. And yet, because of Acts, I have hope that I can live an extraordinary life. And so that's what we, that's what we want to talk about. But before we get into Acts 4, we have to go back and we have to look at an event, a little event, what seemed like an insignificant event that actually turned the tide of what happened in these men and women's lives and actually turned the tide of what happened in Christianity. As we dive into that, would you guys pray with me this morning? That would be awesome. Father, thank you for just the incredible privilege of being here today. Lord, it's amazing that you would use somebody so ordinary as me to speak to these people. But Lord, today you you decided that was what was going to happen. Lord, I pray over the next few minutes that you will... Speak through me, or that you will anoint me, that you will use my words and make them your words to touch people's lives as we just dive into your, your, your gospel. And Lord, we thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. So you guys know the background of Acts chapter 4, if you've been around church very much. Jesus has, has uh, died, he rose from the dead. Just a few weeks before this, he went back to heaven and he told the guys, last thing he said is go and make disciples uh, of, of everybody and then boom, he's gone. And so they're trying to figure out what that means. They all get together in Jerusalem in one little room, there's about 140 of them in there. All of a sudden in Acts chapter 2, something extraordinary happens. They're filled with the Spirit. They begin to speak in languages they don't understand. All of a sudden hundreds and thousands of people are listening to them and they're wanting to join this this new little sect. And then in Acts chapter 3, something extraordinary happens. Peter and John are walking to the temple. And they're going to the temple like they do every day. That's just what they do. They don't, they don't know they're supposed to go rent a high school and set up equipment. You know, they don't know that's how it works. That's all they got. So they just walk to the temple. And as they're walking, they pass a guy, the lame guy, by the gate. I mean, I don't think they even knew his name. He's just the lame guy. They had passed this guy literally dozens and dozens of times. In fact, when they had been with Jesus, I'm sure this guy was there. They had walked right past this guy with Jesus. And then each day after Jesus has gone and through Pentecost, they've walked past this guy. But this day, as they're walking past the lame guy by the gate, something happens to Peter. And he stops and he goes, Hey, dude, look, take, take a look at me. Now, the lame guy's excited, right? Because he, he's there. Why is he there? He's, he's there begging for money, right? So this guy walks by, and he stops, and he's going to make a big deal of giving him a lot of money because he's, he's making him look at him. And he's like, dude, all right, yeah, this will work. So he puts out his hand, and Peter, typical preacher, says, I don't have any money, right? So what do you think the lame guy's thinking at that point? Yeah, keep moving along, move along. You know, that's good. No money, people. Don't have time for you. I need to, I need to make a living here. Peter says, I don't have any money, but dude, let, I, hey, I've had something. Let's, I don't know. I don't know what could happen here. You see, Peter hasn't healed people up till now, at least since Jesus has been gone. They've been all kind of huddled together. He says, look at me, take a look at me. Hey, get up and walk. 
Now, the, uh, Luke doesn't record this in Acts, but I kind of wonder if there was a little bit of an exchange here, like the lame guys go, no, 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 lame guy. That's known as lame guy. I don't walk. I beg. He says, no, 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 trust me on this, trust me on this. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. Lame guy goes, what do I got to lose? Kind of struggles a little bit, <clears throat> kind of pushes himself up, stands up. Looks down, he's, for the first time in his entire life, he's standing up. Now here's where it gets crazy, right? Instead of going, hey, thanks a lot, appreciate that, that's great, I'll just kind of... The guy, what does the Bible say? Do you guys remember what he does? He starts running around. He starts jumping up and down. He starts yelling. He starts saying, look at me, I used to be the lame guy. Now I'm the run around, leap around, jump up and down guy. This is cool. I can walk, I can walk, I can walk. People start gathering around. This is a show. We're coming in. All right, check this out. Lame guys, walking guy. What in the world happened? And Peter goes, again, typical preacher. I have no money, but I'll give a sermon anywhere, anytime, any place there's a crowd. Sees a crowd, he preaches a sermon. Well, this gets the attention of the wrong guys, right? The guys, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the guys who put Jesus to death suddenly find out there's a commotion going on out in the temple, and so they say, hey, we've got to figure this out. And so they have Peter and John arrested. This is significant. This is interesting. I missed this for a long time. But they arrest Peter and John, and they bring them in before the, the Jewish council, the, the, the religious leaders, to find out what's going on. And they say, Peter, or, or they don't even know who these guys are. They say, who are you? What's, what, what's going on out here? Now, here's the significant thing for Peter and John. See, Peter and John have been in this exact room just weeks before. Last time they were in this room, Jesus was there. Jesus' hands were tied. Jesus was being questioned. These guys that they were facing now are the very guys who beat Jesus in this room. They slapped him. They spit at him. I wonder if Peter looked down at the pavement, the stones, and saw drops of blood dried from where Jesus had stood. You see, this isn't fun. This isn't funny. This isn't a breezy day at the office. Peter and John are in trouble because the same guys who had Jesus arrested and put to death now are facing Peter and John. What are they going to do? So we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 7. And it says that, And when they had set them in the midst, in other words, when they had set Peter and John in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what, by what name did you do this? See, at this point, they don't know what's going on. They, this guy's been healed. They don't know why. They don't know, they don't know what the deal is. So then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Can you imagine what the religious leaders think at that moment? Just a few weeks before, they had this Jesus arrested. They had him put to death. They saw him die on the cross. They've heard rumors of 
disciples claiming that he rose from the dead, but that could be easily put down. They, they are done with Jesus. They are moving on. Things are, things are getting peaceful. And now standing in front of them are these guys saying that this lame man was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Peter goes on and looks him right in the face, right in the eye, and says, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, and by you, by you. Rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given, by which men, uh, uh, given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and perceived that they were uneducated common men, there it is. They were one of us. They were just common guys, blue-collar workers, accountants, just, just guys. They were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized they had been with Jesus. But here's the problem. Seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with these guys? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. We can't deny it. The guy used to be lame. Everybody knows him. We've walked by him hundreds of times. Everybody knows the lame guy. Now the lame guy can walk. We can't deny that. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, we've got to stamp this thing out. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot speak of what we have we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. You see, Jesus was raised from the dead. He went back to heaven. He said, go and make disciples. They were filled with the Spirit. It was fun. It was exciting. Ten people came. A hundred people came. A thousand people came. Two thousand people came. They couldn't even, they didn't even know who all the people were. It was spreading like wildfire across Jerusalem. It was fun to be a part of this church. It was exciting. Everyone wanted to join. And now, all of a sudden, for the very first time, the same people who put Jesus to death said, guys, understand this. Listen to us. If you even speak the name of Jesus, if you bring Jesus up again, you're going to face what he faced. You see, these guys controlled everything. They could kick Peter and John and their families and all the disciples out of the synagogue, which means no one would sell to them. They could not work. They would be ostracized from society. They could go further than that. They had the ear of Rome. They could have these guys stoned. They could have them crucified. They held all the power and they said, listen, don't do this again, or you're toast. So what do they do? What would you do? You ask yourself that. What would I do? What would I do? I mean, theoretically, it's easy. Oh, yeah, I, I would go. I would, do, I would keep proclaiming Jesus. I'd come to church. I, I'd pray. I'd do all those things. But would I? If I know that they will arrest my family, that my wife can be enslaved, that my children can be taken away, that I can be crucified just like Jesus was. If I don't listen, what would I do? Maybe some of us would move. Just move to another city. We'll just, we'll just keep loving Jesus, but we'll love Jesus someplace else. Maybe some of us would go underground. We would keep 
following Christ, but we'd do it very quietly. We had little house churches and we, we would make sure that nobody else knew. Or maybe we'd just say, hey, let's lay low. Let's be quiet. Let's, let's kind of let this roll. It'll be all right. We'll kind of work behind the scenes, but let's just stay quiet. But what did these guys do? What did these guys do? Acts chapter 4, we're going to skip down to verse 23. <clears throat> when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, this is cool, they talked to the church. They said, guys, what are we going to do? Here's the deal. What are we going to do? And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, they said, God, here's what's happened in the past. Now is what, here's what we're facing. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What a prayer. What an interesting prayer. You know what's significant? What did they not pray for? Did you listen to that prayer? What did they not pray for? They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray, Lord, keep us safe. I'm going to confess to you guys. You don't know me, but I'm going to be honest, authentic with you. One of my main prayers is for safety. I pray every day, Lord, keep my wife safe today. As my kids are, my kids are 22 and 26. I have, two, uh, I have the two most beautiful granddaughters on the face of the earth. Don't come show me pictures of your granddaughters because it'll just be embarrassing for you, okay? <laughs> every day, I pray, God, keep Mags safe today. Keep Molly safe today. Keep Brittany and Mike and Hillary and Sherry safe today. That's my number one prayer. And there's nothing wrong with praying for safety. I'm not going to stand here and say that's the wrong thing to do. Paul often prayed for the safety of people that he loved and that he cared for. However, in this event, when these people faced the biggest threat they'd ever faced, they didn't pray for safety. A second thing they didn't pray for is they didn't pray for comfort. How often do we pray for comfort? How often do we pray, God, I pray that this meeting will go well. I pray that this relationship will go well. I pray that I get the job that I want. I pray that we can get the house that we like. I pray that we can get the car that we want. Right now I'm praying that God will reveal to my wife that I should have a brand new Harley Davidson. I mean, that's a prayer that we pray. We pray often for comfort. Again, there's nothing wrong with praying for safety. There's really nothing wrong with praying for comfort. It says in the word that God will give us the desires of our heart. There's nothing wrong with praying for that. However, the point is, this extraordinary band of believers, these common ordinary men and women didn't pray in the most dangerous moment of their life. They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for victory. Did you notice that? They didn't pray, let us win. They didn't pray, We're gonna, we, we need to take down these leaders. We need victory in this circumstance. They didn't pray, Lord, show these jerks who's really boss. It's time for you to just do some slap down, you know? They didn't pray for that. They didn't pray for revenge. These are the people who put Jesus to death, right? These are the people who stopped Jesus' ministry on earth. 
If anyone would deserve revenge, it would be these guys. And yet, these, this extraordinary band of believers did not pray for revenge. I'm, I, my prayer, honestly, would be, Lord, wouldn't it be wonderful if a swarm of mosquitoes just descended upon them and stung them until they were on the ground crying and bleeding a little bit? That would be fun. That would be awesome. But that's not what they prayed. They didn't pray for victory. They didn't pray for revenge. They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for comfort. Here's my point. My point is not that these things are the wrong thing to pray for or evil or anything else. My point is we spend so much of our lives, me and you, praying ordinary prayers that God will keep our lives ordinary. God, please help me maintain the ordinary life that I already have. Protect me from danger. Shield my family from the front line. There's nothing wrong with praying for safety. There's nothing wrong for praying for comfort. The problem is, is that's all we pray for. That's all we ask God for. Keep me safe. Keep me comfortable. And what we're saying is, God, keep me ordinary. And these people couldn't pray that. You see, these people had been with Jesus They had seen Jesus heal blind people. They had seen dead people come to life. They had seen 5,000 people fed with two loaves and five fishes. They had seen Jesus arrested, beaten, crucified, and die. They had seen him sealed in a tomb for three days. They had seen him come back to life. They had seen him ascend to heaven. They had experienced resurrection power on Pentecost. They were ruined for the ordinary. They couldn't go back to their ordinary lives. They couldn't go back to their ordinary homes and their ordinary jobs and their ordinary families because they had experienced the extraordinary power of Jesus Christ, the extraordinary power of resurrection. And because of that, they were ruined for the ordinary. They could no longer pray ordinary prayers. So their their, their prayers became, God, make my life so extraordinary that it can only be explained by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That was their prayer. I can't take it anymore. I can't live an ordinary life. I have seen what God can do. I have seen what happens when Jesus touches people and they get deep into their lives. I have to live a life so extraordinary that it can only be explained by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And so that's what these people prayed. The key to their story is in their prayer. The key to Christianity is in their prayer. Acts ends if these guys just say, we'll be ordinary, we'll go underground, we'll, we'll hide out. The Christian story just kind of trails off and disappears, except for this prayer. Lord, look upon their threats. Hey God, look at what they're doing. Look at what they're saying. Grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. These guys said, don't even speak the name of Jesus anymore. And they prayed, God, do more than that. Give us boldness. Make us bold. Don't make us safe. Don't make us comfortable. Make us bold. We want to see healings. In other words, we want to see lives change. We want to see people's lives turned upside down. And they said, we want to see signs and wonders. We want to see things that can only be explained by God. They refused to live ordinary lives. They prayed, let us live lives that are so extraordinary. They can only be explained by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I love the orchard. 
And this is why I love your pastor, Doug. Because he and his wife could not live ordinary lives. They couldn't do it. They saw that Colorado desperately needed God. They saw that in Denver, you guys may not even realize, in the Denver area, did you know that 95% of people who live in the Denver area never attend church, have no connection to Jesus Christ. They are facing eternity without Jesus. And Doug and his wife could not stand it. And so they moved their family across the country. They came here to Brighton. They rented a high school. Who wants to do that? They could live at a, a comfortable place with a real building and where you don't have to be here at four in the morning to set up and all those things that go on. But they couldn't stand it. And they prayed extraordinary prayers. And they didn't know if any of you would come. And they didn't know if anyone would come. But they said, God, we are so committed. We, we're going to be bold we're going to believe in the Holy Spirit is going to give us power to see extraordinary things happen. And this is a result of that today. You guys don't realize it, but the Orchard is an extraordinary church. You guys don't realize that, that a vast majority of churches that get planted in Denver never make it three years. They close down because Satan has such a hold on this city, such a hold. And yet Doug and his wife and the team here and you guys said, no. We, 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 won't, we won't give in. We won't give up. We won't quit. We will come back. We will come back. We will come back. We will continue to obey God and we will be bold and we will see God do something and that is what's happening here in the orchard. But what I love and the reason Doug and I connected, I love church planting and I love church planters but I really love church planters who go, we can't just build one church. We can't just grow one tree. We can't just focus on one apple tree that produces one crop. But we've got to plant other apple trees and other apple trees and other apple trees. And that's why Doug called this what God laid on his heart, the orchard. He's told me that story. Because he wasn't called to Denver to plant a church. He was called to Denver to lead a movement, to see a church after church after church planted. That's why you sent Nick to Erie to plant another orchard. And I love Nick's heart. Nick's heart is, when are we going to be ready to go plant another orchard? And Doug and I have prayed and talked about how do we get other churches in Denver to, to get fired up about this. And we're beginning to see churches planted out of the orchard and out of other churches. Converge, which you guys are a part of, is beginning to get fired up. Because they, people are praying prayers that say, I can't live an ordinary life. I can't be an ordinary church. I can't just go to work and come home. I'm ruined for the ordinary. I have to see something different happen. Some of you here today... This is going to scare somebody here because they know it's them. Some, some of you here today are going to go plant churches. There are people here in this room that are going to be church planters. Oh, I haven't been to seminary. Oh, I haven't been to Bible college. That's awesome. Good. <laughs> I'm not anti those things, but you hear what I'm saying. And somebody in here, I'm telling you right now, somebody went, shoot. I've been feeling that. I just was hoping it was like bad pizza. Some of you are going to be leaders that are going to go with new church plants. Some of you are going to give ridiculous amounts of money so that churches can, can be planted. Some of you are going to pray every single day for a long time for every new church plant, for the orchard and for the orchard and for the orchard and for the orchard. And many of you are going to get excited about what God is going to do through your lives, through the orchard following the ministry of, of Pastor Doug and, 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 the, and the other leaders here. And you're going to live lives that are so extraordinary. can only be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't believe me. <laughs> you're thinking, yeah, that's great, Jeff. Tomorrow i got to get up and go to work. So do these guys. 
The next day, they had to go make a living. They had to go back and weave baskets or be carpenters or, or whatever it was they did. But they prayed, God, make us bold. Let us heal people. Let us see signs and wonders. Let us see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. So what happened? I mean, that's all exciting. That's fun. But what happened to these guys? Well, let's take a look at it. Acts 4.31 says, this is cool. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The place they were gathered was shaken. Have any of you ever been in a house when lightning hit, like, right there, and you felt the whole house shake? Have you ever had that? Lightning has one billion volts of electricity. That is what went through this, is a billion volts, a trillion volts of Holy Spirit resurrection power. The place was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The rest of what happens in Acts is predicated on this power of God coursing through them. And this is the power that is available to us as ordinary followers of Christ. So what happened? What was the result? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. So what happened? Boldness. They said, give us boldness. So God said, all right, here's boldness. And all heaven breaks loose. Lame people are healed. Dead people come to life. Deaf people can hear. Blind people can see. Thousands and thousands of people begin to follow Christ. Amazing stuff happens. Instead of Christianity kind of petering out and going underground, it begins to sweep across Jerusalem, across Israel, across the known world. It's unbelievable. No one in that room that prayed this prayer lived another ordinary day the rest of their lives. The second thing the Bible says they got, they had boldness. They had unity. They became one heart and one soul. How cool is that? They were on the same page. They were all moving in the same direction. They became generous. Generosity just came. They, they began to just sell things and give it so that other people could be taken care of. And what's fascinating is Peter didn't preach a sermon about generosity. They didn't pray for generosity. There wasn't a generosity program. They didn't have to go through a six-week class to learn how to be generous. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's coursing through them. They're experiencing the power of God, and they're saying, I can't possibly keep all I have. I have to give. It's amazing when generosity sweeps through a church, and they begin to take care of the people in the church. They begin to take care of people outside of the church. We saw this in a church that I was in in Charleston, South Carolina. We became a fairly large church and people suspected what in the world was going on with this church. A real negative image because any church that grows must be doing something evil, right? So that was kind of the, kind of, kind of the thought there. And for some reason, God got in our hearts that we needed to be generous. And so we opened up a, a, a location in the most difficult, poorest, crime-ridden part of town. And we, put, we, we had a medical clinic and a food pantry and, and we began doing church services and we just gave and we 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 gave. And here's an amazing thing. After several years of just, just being there and giving, the reputation of our church across the city changed. Not among the church people. The church people thought we were even more weird than we were before. But the unchurched people, the people who had never walked inside a church, said, if I ever did go to church, that's the one I'd go to. And we started seeing people come to Christ. Why? Because of generosity. 
That's what happened to these people. They became generous. The, th the, the next thing that it says is that they, they had power. I love this verse. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony. I mean, as you guys come together, as you guys pray this extraordinary prayer, you're going to see two things happen. You're going to see Pastor Doug have even more power as he shares the gospel on Sunday mornings. He's a powerful gospel preacher. But I know how this works, Doug. When you know people are behind you, when you know there are people up an hour early on Sunday just praying that God will speak through you. I mean, that is like, that's like being hooked up to a, a lightning bolt. That's not the only thing that's going to happen. It's going to happen to you guys too. You're going to have power to share your testimony. God's going to give you openings to tell people about Christ. Not to be out screaming at them and yelling at them and condemning them. But in the office, you're going to find people just saying, Hey, I kind of noticed something going on in your life. Tell me about that. Or they're going to say, I'm going through this really rough time. And you're suddenly going to have this boldness to go, Hey, when I go through that kind of time, here's what my wife and I do. We, we pray. Could I talk to you about that a little bit? And you're going to be like, Me? I said that? Yeah. Because you're going to have this boldness, this power from the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing that happened is they had grace. It says great grace was on them all. See, these are direct results of this extraordinary prayer. You can't learn to do these things. You don't will yourself into it. You don't say, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to have grace. I'm going to be generous. No, it comes from praying an extraordinary prayer that says, God, do this through me. It's a direct result of a dangerous, heartfelt, desperate prayer. We will not live ordinary lives. We will not be an ordinary church. We will live such extraordinary lives. We will be such an extraordinary church that it can only be explained by the power of God. God's calling some of you today to live an extraordinary life. You know there's more. You know there's more. You know that you're going through the motions and you're safe and you're comfortable. But inside, you know, this isn't all there is. There's more. God is calling you to more. You feel a restlessness that God has created inside of you. What's your prayer today? What is your prayer? God, protect me. Keep me safe. Make me comfortable. Put a cocoon around my family. Or is your prayer, God, make me dangerous? Make my family dangerous. Let us live extraordinary lives marked by the power of the Holy Spirit. Imagine a church full of people praying that prayer. Imagine a church full of people waking up every morning saying, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to do my job, but God, make me bold. Let me heal people's lives. Do signs and wonders through me. Let me be, live an extraordinary life, only explained by the power of God. Would you guys close your eyes where you're at right now? Just bow your heads, close your eyes for just a minute. There are some of you here today who have never plugged into that power. You have never experienced what it means to have resurrection power. You have never, there's never been a time in your life. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe you went to church when you were a kid. But you would say, you know, you've never really made that commitment to say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm going to stop leading my own life. I want you to lead my life. I'm sorry for my past. I want my future to be different. I want to experience resurrection power. Is there anyone here today, and I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you stand, but is there anyone here today that would just 
raise a hand and say, Jeff, pray for me today as you pray, because I need to experience for the first time that resurrection power. I see that hand. Thank you. Another hand. Another hand. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. One other thing I'm going to ask. We're going to pray for each of you in a minute. One other thing I'm going to ask. Is there anyone here today that would say, Jeff, I want to live that extraordinary life. But I'll be honest with you. Life is, life is kicking me right now. I'm down. I'm struggling. I don't feel God's resurrection power in my life. And I want to feel it. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. But I desperately need a new experience of that power today. Would you just raise your hand real quick? All over the room. Hands all over the room. All over the room. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that we can experience your power. Lord, your amazing resurrection power. Lord, I pray for first for those who raised their hand and said they've never experienced your love. They've never experienced what it means to follow you. Lord, today I pray, they'll, they'll just kind of pray this prayer. Father, I'm sorry for my past. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I have tried to run my own life without you. Lord, I, I want to change my future. So I confess today that you are Lord and you are risen. And I want to follow you from here, from here on. And Lord, I pray that they will experience your power in their lives as they walk out that commitment. And then, Lord, I pray for the many people who raised their hands and said, I want to be extraordinary. I want to live this life. But it's hard right now. Lord, I just pray, even as we end this service, that we will experience your power in our lives again. And Lord, we commit it to you in your name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate Decisions for Christ this morning together? Thank you.